Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And there is a new news story saying that scientists have finally measured the existence of two versions of reality happening simultaneously. Now, this comes from MIT, so this ain't no bullshit story, okay? The folks there at MIT are as scientific and well-respected as it gets. And yes, this is a quantum physics story, and so you know this could get... uh, It could get a little bit thick, a little deep down the old rabbit hole, so I'll do my best to, to try to describe what they're saying as simply as possible. And it really begins with this fundamental idea in quantum physics that reality exists in many, many different states, perhaps even an infinite number of states, until and unless it is observed, i.e. measured. And then suddenly it snaps into one fixed state, and that is what we usually consider objective reality but until we observe it it's it's in a variety of possible states and you are an observer and so you are actually a measurer you see so when you see something you're measuring it using your senses and every person is unique so that means that every person takes a unique measurement of what is observed. And some are more unique than others. But no two can ever be absolutely identical. There are just too many little variables. So so this idea that anything in reality exists in an infinite, perhaps an infinite number of states, at least more than one, and then just snaps into place when you see it, is sort of the crux of this. And this state, when something hasn't been observed yet, but suddenly gets observed and then locks into a particular state, that state, when it's sort of up in the air, is what scientists call quantum superposition. Quantum superposition. And I guess you can kind of think of that as a superposition, meaning like it can be in any position for now until we observe it or measure it and it has to to lock into a certain one and in fact in the short documentary i recently released called wish masters about wishing machines radionics psionics etc there was a segment devoted to uh, this kind of concept where dr Mulder was talking about the double slit experiment that Uh, You know, light or various other particles behave differently uh, depending on how they are observed, etc. So, anyway, um, you may have heard of this thought experiment called Schrodinger's Cat. So, a thought experiment is an an experiment that you just do mentally. Uh, you don't have to actually carry it out physically. And this is a, a big staple of 
really scientific thinking and philosophy in general always has been the purpose of the thought experiment is to be able to work out scenarios that you either cannot test because you don't have the physical ability or it might be unethical to test out and in in fact schrodinger's cat involves the possible death of a cat so i think that might even fall into the unethical category but uh, a good example of, of why you might need a thought experiment might be, well, let's say you're wondering what would happen if somebody were able to travel back in time. You know, how would that work out? Well, we don't have a time machine, so we can't travel back in time. So if you want to consider what could happen if you could travel back in time, then you would have to work that out in a thought experiment. So you see what the value of, of a thought experiment is. And, and in many cases, what starts as a thought experiment actually eventually turns into a real hands-on experiment given advances in technology. And that seems to be what has happened here. So let me again tell you a little bit more about the Schrodinger's cat experiment, because I think that will give you a good basis in all this. So Erwin Schrodinger was an Austrian physicist, and he proposed this thought experiment in 1935. And here's the gist of it. So he says, okay, let's imagine we have a box. Again, folks, this is just a thought experiment. So don't get worried about this, this cat. Let's imagine there's a box with a cat in it. Now, in the box with the cat, we have a flask of poison. And when that flask is broken poisonous gas will come out and kill this cat now whether or not this flask is broken depends on a hammer that's mounted next to the flask if the hammer doesn't fall the cat's fine if the hammer does fall it breaks open the flask and the cat is dead now what determines whether or not the hammer falls is a geiger counter And that Geiger counter is measuring radioactive particles that are popping off of a little piece of radioactive material. So the reason it's set up this way is nobody is supposed to be able to predict when a radioactive particle is going to pop off of a piece of radioactive material. That's supposed to be completely unpredictable. So that's all the the point is all he's trying to say is let's say there's a completely unpredictable scenario here in which if a particle pops off at the right time and the geiger counter registers it then the geiger counter is going to trigger the hammer and the hammer is going to fall and the poison comes out and the cat dies or the particle doesn't pop at the right moment and none of that happens and the cat lives so again this is just a very elaborate way and experimental terms of saying let's say there's a cat in a box and there's no way for anybody on earth to be able to predict whether or not that cat is alive or dead so the result of this thought experiment is he says that we are not going to know until we open the box so until we open that box the cat is neither alive nor dead The cat exists in both states. 
both alive and dead. They call it a cat state. And they see this in physics. I know this is almost impossible to comprehend uh, under ordinary human terms, but they have particles in physics that they have observed spinning both clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time, and they call that a cat state because they're referring to Schrodinger's cat experiment. So he says, before that door is opened, there's no way to... Well, I mean, basically what he's saying is the cat is not alive or dead. It's it's both alive and dead. Okay, But the moment you open the door and you look inside, guess what? That snaps in. Those possibilities, those probabilities, they snap into one objective result and the cat is either going to be alive or dead and at that point it's done there's no going back so that's the basis of schrodinger's cat and and that all reality works this way that sort of what's behind your back uh it could be a jungle right now you you turn around and you see one thing that has has uh, snapped into place it reminds you a lot of the old you know if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, it's that sort of thing. It really is. And in fact, I recently bought this fun little toy. It's a great little device. They're kind of hard to find now. It's a uh, Schrodinger's cat box. I have it in my hand right now. I love this little thing. It's kind of like a decision maker. It's It's a gray box about half the size of a Kleenex box or something like that. It has all these scary stickers on it, skull and crossbones and radioactive symbols, and um, and there's a, a door on it. And inside this box is a model, a 3D model of a cat. Actually, if you want to really get down to it, there, there are two models in there. There's a, a living version and a dead version. And when you open the door the light flashes a few times and then it finally lands on one of these versions of the cat whether you, you, if the cat's alive it's sitting there all upright and healthy if it's dead it's laying down and it's got little X's where its eyes are and this is a fun thing I was showing it off just recently to uh, my brother-in-law Charles and sister-in-law Shelley and uh, and Alec and Allie when they came in to visit here in Las Vegas it's like I say you can use it like a decision maker in fact, I'm going to do this right now. Let me ask you, listening to this podcast, I'm about to open this door on my little Schrodinger's cat box. Do you think the cat is going to be alive or dead? Make your prediction right now. Is the cat going to be alive or dead? Make your prediction. All right, so here we go. I'm going to open the box. Let's see what happens. The light is flashing, and he's alive! He's alive. The cat is alive. So if you guess the cat is alive, you were right. So you see what a fun little decision maker this can be. I'm, I'm happy to have it, and I think I'll be playing with this the rest of my life. So now, this new news doesn't directly relate to the Schrodinger's cat experiment, but it's kind of similar, which is why I wanted to give you that that background before we dig into this. Okay, so when this story was published, 
in the MIT Technology Review, they gave it the headline, A quantum experiment suggests there's no such thing as objective reality. How amazing is it, folks, that we get to live in a day and age when the MIT Technology Review has a headline saying an experiment suggests there's no such thing as objective reality, when in fact most of the scientific thinking out there that people hold so self-righteously high and mighty is based on this materialistic, rationalistic view that everything has an objective element and you can only rely on the objectivity and now here we have the latest scientific results saying okay there's no such thing as objective reality isn't physics becoming more and more like metaphysics every day metaphysics and philosophy i really believe that one day what they call pseudoscience sometimes so flippantly so recklessly will actually be considered part of a whole other branch of science and 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 quantum physics and metaphysics and what a lot of people dismiss as pseudoscience have a lot in common right now so i could read some portions for you from the mit article but um i think the first person who sent this to me was mobius and he sent me um, a coverage of this on the website iflscience.com, which of course they sourced to MIT. Their headline is Quantum Experiment Sees Two Versions of Reality Existing at the Same Time. And theirs might be worded a little more simply. So I'll just uh, read to you a little bit of it. It says... We know that our understanding of reality is pretty biased. Our senses, our cultures, and our knowledge shape how we see the world. And if you think that science will always give you objective reality, well, you might want to consider. Physicists have finally been able to test a thought experiment first proposed in 1961 by Nobel Prize winner Eugene Wigner. Okay, now I'm going to pause here for a second. I was telling you about Erwin Schrödinger, the Austrian physicist who proposed Schrödinger's cat in 1935. Now we have this other physicist named Eugene Wigner. He was a Hungarian-American physicist, and I'm sure he was inspired by Schrödinger's cat. And so... He proposed this experiment known as Wigner's Friend. Says the setup is not too complicated. You start with a quantum system that has two states in superposition. Okay, now I just explained to you what that means. This is what they call it when when, when this thing is in a state where anything can happen. They call that superposition. So you start with a system where you have that. The setup is not too complicated. Um, It says, in superposition, which means until you measure it, both states exist at the same time. So, for example, a photon's polarization is both horizontal and vertical. Okay, this goes back to what I was telling you about clockwise, counterclockwise. And they say, now, Wigner's friend in the lab 
Uh, no, Wigner's friend is in the lab performing the experiment. And once they measure it, the system will collapse and the photon will be fixed into one of those two states. All right, so you get it. So Wigner, he's saying in my thought experiment, I have a buddy. He's in the lab. He's got something that's in a state of superposition and he observes it and bang, it falls into one of the two positions. But for Wigner, who is outside the lab, unaware of the result of the measurement, the quantum system is still in superposition. So despite contradictory results, they are both correct. Okay, so you get it? So he's saying, well, let's just take it to, to another level, basically. Let's take Schrodinger's cat to another level. So if my, my buddy is in there and he sees what the outcome is, but I'm outside and I haven't seen what the outcome is. So to me, the whole thing is still in a superposition to me, even though it's not in a superposition to him. Okay, that's the idea behind Wigner's friend. And it says, so in this case, two objective realities, Wigner's and Wigner's friends appear to coexist. And this is a problem. They go on to say testing this idea had not been possible for a very long time. It's not easy to work out the quantum mechanics, etc. But guess what? They finally did it thanks to recent breakthroughs in quantum mechanics. And again, I'm not going to break this down too specifically. I will post both of these articles for you if you want to read the details. But they said, okay, I will tell you this. They created a system that had four entangled observers and a state-of-the-art six-photon experiment. Okay, I know you're like, okay, well, you're losing me now. Just hang in there. The, ultimately, what they're saying is two realities were measured at once. The team argues that this strengthens the case of quantum theories whose framework is already observer-dependent. Uh, quote, this calls into question the objective status of the facts established by the two observers. Um, says, while science is the best tool we have to understand reality, the effects and limitations of the observers have been known for a long time. Relativity has shown that observers may not experience simultaneous events at the same time. Quantum mechanics tells us that observers influence their experiments, and now it appears that, at least at the quantum level, two different realities can both be real at once. Now, one of the things that I prided myself on when writing my book, Use the Force, is um, pointing out some of the data and I have so many papers around here, I don't even know if I can find it. I wasn't exactly prepared to talk about this. Um, I, I, I gave a number of examples in my book, Use the Force, A Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction, of how scientists have done experiments to demonstrate that things that happen on the quantum level, which is the teeny, teeny, tiny level, can also happen at this same level that you and I are existing on. Because again, what exactly is 
the perspective of small and big. We think we're big, but we are teeny tiny in terms of the universe. So things that happen on a teeny tiny scale on the quantum level compared to us may just as easily be things that happen to us because we're the quantum level on the universal scale, right? Here we go. Uh, for Here are just a couple of examples. In 2010, at the University of California in Santa Barbara, they were able to take a metal paddle about the size of a human hair, which is gigantic on the quantum scale, and they were able to make it both vibrate and stand still at the same time. That was thought to be only a quantum effect until they did it. And they showed that this quantum effect is able to occur on this macro level that you and I are living in on a day-to-day basis. In 2014, at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, uh, scientists were able to um, create multi-party entanglement, showing that multiple points in space-time are connected. Okay, This is showing that we're living in a network where what can happen on the quantum level can just as easily happen on bigger levels. In fact, since 1996, at least four Nobel Prizes have been given to scientists who have proved that quantum effects can occur on the macroscopic level that you and I live on. So if scientists are showing us right now, as apparently they are, that they now have measured that there are at least two different versions of reality happening simultaneously on the quantum level, that means that you and I also have the the potential to experience multiple realities. Uh, we're talking about at least two. I mean, who knows how many we're really talking about. This may have such dramatic implications for paranormal experiences that it's... I mean, it's it's hard to uh, overstate the importance, the potential importance of this. Especially since, as I said, every single person is unique. And I understand because we're unique, some people are more or less able to observe other versions of reality. And... That doesn't mean that one person has a big imagination, is all crazy, and the other person is down to earth. No, it just means that we are able to observe things in a, in a very different way. And, uh, you know, th- this goes back to, to a lot of the things that we've addressed on this podcast over the years, really. Um, but, you know, over, the, over my career as a paranormal investigator I've certainly known people who are able to walk into a room and take a camera and capture all kinds of strange paranormal stuff that I can't explain and then you give that camera to another person who goes through and basically does the same thing and gets nothing all the photos are clean and there's no way to explain that other than to say that everybody is unique Everybody is, is, a, is a unique observer, meaning you are a unique measurement device. And maybe even when you have a camera, it extends to that. What is this camera? This camera is somehow an extension of you because you're operating it. You know, you're the operator. 
And I think that's one of the, the things you should keep in mind when it comes to like radionics and psionics and, and things like that, that it also is a matter of considering the operator because you are a part of the system. Try as you may, you cannot remove yourself. It is impossible. All these people who have small minds calling themselves scientists, they forget the fact, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, every single scientific instrument out there was conceived by a person designed by a person, built by a person, calibrated by a person, used by a person, interpreted by a person. You cannot remove the human element from this. So it begins with the individual operator in every case, in every case. Some devices are more uh, designed to sort of cooperate with each other cohesively. That means gain a more similar result one compared to the other. And some are more direct reflections of the operator and since people are so unique and their wishes and desires and all that are so unique I think that's why that something like a wishing machine or a radionics device is so particularly tuned to that person's situation and and particular scenario and so what that means is if there are many different versions of reality out there then we can say this experiment sort of is, it lays the groundwork for us opening our minds to that. But in practice, what we are saying is this might apply to, well, let's just say ghosts. You know, let's just say ghosts. Um, we, we, I, I can give you my theories about what a ghost is. You can give me your theories. But the fact of the matter is people see ghosts cameras capture ghosts we don't know exactly what is happening here necessarily but we know that some people are able to perceive this level of reality some cameras are able to perceive this level of reality and maybe not consistently you know i think that's one of the the most difficult things um is is trying to figure out you know you we, we have a tendency to look for consistency in what may be inconsistent scenarios and the human lifespan is only so long and you might need a database of 1,000 years of observation to find a pattern and we just don't have that much time in a human lifespan but nonetheless it's amazing to me to, to keep all this in mind to bear it in mind when you see some documentation that comes out that looks like just another piece of good documentation that this is all that this is real and uh, now that we have cameras everywhere, we have security cameras and, and baby monitors and cell phones and satellites, we're getting more paranormal imagery than ever flowing in. And uh, it's still difficult for people to notice sometimes the paranormal imagery because that there's so much coming in in general. It, sometimes it just gets lost in the mix. But there's a new piece of paranormal footage that's come out that I think looks pretty good and it might actually show us one of these other versions of reality where there is a ghost an apparition walking around this actually was uh, just posted by Tim Banal at coasttocoastam.com you know Tim Banal I've uh, sung his praises before he always does a fantastic job and um here's what happened okay apparently there was this woman 
in Michigan. Uh, her name is Heather, I guess it's Bro, B-R-O-U-G-H. And um, so her family has a little baby, a little daughter, that they keep in its crib. And says here, the strangeness reportedly began when Heather woke the child up from a nap and noticed three purple scratches on the baby's face. The marks were odd enough that the concerned mom decided to check her baby monitor to see if it may have recorded the moment when the youngster was injured. To her profound horror, Bro is stunned to see that the camera filmed an eerie-looking figure swiftly walking across her daughter's room. It would seem that the anomaly was not a physical intruder, however, as it appears to dissipate after a few steps, suggesting that it was some kind of apparition. According to Bro, the proverbial ghost sighting is not the first case of paranormal activity in the home, as the family has allegedly heard inexplicable sounds and a disembodied voice. While they were able to tolerate the weirdness at first, they now fear that the spirit in their home is showing a more malevolent side. To that end, Bro believes the scratches on her daughter's face were caused by the entity since they did not match up with the child's own hand. The incident has proven to be so unsettling to the family, they now plan to move out of the home as soon as they can, rather than tempt fate and see what the ghostly presence may do next. I do not blame them a bit. And then, you know, I'm a guy who investigates ghosts and paranormal spooky things all the time. Screw that! I don't want to live in a house where, where this is happening out of the blue all the time. It's scratching the baby. I mean, this video is 39 seconds long, and uh, I'm playing it again right now. And I'll post this for you on my uh, Twitter account, at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren. But um, it's, I mean, it, it, like I say, it looks good. I mean, like you actually see the baby stand up in the crib when the apparition walks by, and it looks a lot like the baby is taking note that the apparition is there. Now, can I tell you for, you know, 100, 100% that this is real? No, I cannot. Uh, I all I've done is read this article, and you know, for me to start feeling extremely confident in things, I need to talk to the people who captured it and and do an extensive analysis. But th- but again, you know, it looks pretty good. I'll post this for you. Um, again, my Twitter is at Joshua P Warren, and you can look at that. And then also, if you're so inclined, you can read the quantum physics articles. But you know, it's funny because. Um, here I am again I go out ghost hunting but I don't want this stuff to just spontaneously appear in my house at night and you know that one of my friends is a comedian Karen Rontowski paranormal Karen and she uh, I'm telling you she's one of my favorite comedians I'm not just saying that because that we're friends Uh, we became friends after the fact uh, her name is Karen Rontowski, R-O-N-T-O-W-S-K-I. And if you go to paranormalkaren.com, Karen is spelled K-A-R-E-N, paranormalkaren, 
com. And one of the cool things about her is that she is not only a real professional, bona fide, successful comedian, but she also is a ghost hunter, a medium. She's into a lot of psychic and metaphysical stuff, and she makes jokes about that, and she makes great jokes, and there aren't a lot of people out there who are doing that. So she's given me permission to um, to play a few minutes of some of her material. I'll I'll do this from time to time. So I want to play for you something that I think will brighten your day, give you a chuckle. I want to play for you three or four minutes of her routine that she does about ghosts and ghost hunting. Because it is interesting to think about the difference between, uh, again, living with a ghost. And to me, if you're going to, if you have a ghost in your house and like this, and you don't want to move out, I think something is wrong with you. I find that fishy. You should want to get the hell out of there. Screw that. Um, but it's okay when you go out and you're looking for the ghost because you're prepared for it. Now, that's when you probably have the least chances of seeing one when you're looking for it. It reminds me of the old Benjamin Franklin, a watched pot is slow to boil. But uh, anyway, I'm going to play for you a, a few minutes of Karen Rontowski's ghost comedy. And um, <laughs> and again, remember, her website is paranormalkaren.com. But before I do that, I want to tell you a couple of things. Now, once again, Creepy Vegas, my new paranormal tour here in Las Vegas that gets into ghosts. UFOs, monsters, time warps, Area 51, even an ESP gambling tip. That thing debuts on April the 6th, Saturday, April the 6th, 2019 at 6 p.m. here Las Vegas time, at specific time. And we expect this tour to be around for a while, but the only time that I am going to actually be there in person is for the opening tour. I created this tour. So this is all my content, but the guide is Nick Weird, who is a native of Las Vegas. So if you want to come here and you want to actually hang out with me for the tour, and then afterward we'll go out and we'll go to a nice party at a super cool place. I don't want to tell you where it is, of course, because I want to keep that private just for those of you who attend. Go to creepyvegas.com, creepyvegas.com right now. Buy your tickets. It's $19.95 per person. Buy your tickets for Saturday, April 6, 2019. There's only one tour. It's at 6 p.m. I will be there. I will meet you. And then afterward, we will all go and hang out and have a blast at a nice, a very nice establishment. Uh, I, I Again, I, I wish so much I could tell you what I have planned, but... I don't want to spoil the surprise for those who can make it. So get your tickets now, creepyvegas.com. Of course, creepy is spelled simply C-R-E-E-P-Y, creepyvegas.com. So before I play Karen's comedy for you, uh, hey, my website is joshuapwarren.com. There's no period after the P. If you go there, please visit the Curiosity Shop. Lots of cool stuff there. And you know, every time you visit that Curiosity Shop, You're going to find things that you won't find anywhere else, and you'll be supporting this podcast and everything else that I do. So joshuapwarren.com also has a link to this podcast called Joshua P. Warren Daily. Always short, always free, independent, uncensored, 
Click the link to Joshua P. Warren Daily and you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter once again at Joshua P. Warren. And I usually post when a new one is available. So I have lots more exciting stuff to tell you about to announce coming up very, very soon. We're going to have some fun, I promise you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And now here is Paranormal Karen, Karen Rontowski, and some of her thoughts on ghost and ghost hunting. Enjoy. We're obsessed with death in my family. In fact, uh, I have a job. I work part-time as a ghost hunter. Yeah, I do, folks. Don't be afraid of ghosts. Ghosts are just energy. They used to be able to turn TVs on and off all the time, but now they just stand around the three remotes going, I don't know which one it is. (laughs) And don't ever use a Ouija board. Ouija boards are bad. Someone told me a Ouija board will scream if you burn it, but I found out that's only true if you light it on fire while it's still in your friend's lap. It is. Ouija boards are terrible. One one flew across the room and hit my dad in the head. It was awful. Freaked out my mom because she was aiming for his throat. (laughs) And every place I go, people call me. They go, Carrie, you got to go to this hotel. There's a haunted by a woman that died in her wedding dress in the bathtub. Carrie, you got to go to this train station. It's haunted by a woman that jumped in front of the train in her wedding dress. Karen, you gotta go to this shop. It's haunted by a woman trying to buy a wedding dress. <laughs> Ladies, do we need more reasons not to get married? <laughs> Here's a call I never get. Karen, you gotta help us. Our house is haunted by the ghost of a single woman that had a great career and no kids. <laughs> never a problem never and i own a haunted mirror you know people give me scary things because uh, i like them uh this is a real it's a, looks like it stands on its own looks like it's in a hitchcock movie and uh it's not a kind mirror right ladies know what i'm talking about yeah. kind mirror in the nightclub with the very soft lighting makes you look very young this is a mean mirror <laughs> mean mirror makes you look like what you look like uh <laughs> So I don't like the mean mirror. I push it over to the side. Friend of mine comes over. She's a medium and an alcoholic. And, uh, and she says, you know, there's a little boy looking at you from the other side of that mirror. Isn't that awful? I hate children. I do everything to child-proof my house. I have pills and sharp objects everywhere. Power tools, Tide Pods, so (laughs) parents never bring them back. And now I have this. So here's what I found out. Mirrors are actually portals to another time. So I said to my friend, where did you get that mirror? He got it from his grandma, who got it when she worked in an elementary school in the 1920s, which means somewhere back in time. A teacher says to a student, what are you looking at? And the kid says, I'm not sure, but I think it's a naked lady pulling Fritos out of her underwear. (laughs) 
And, and people come up to me all the time and they say, Karen, can you teach me how to ghost hunt? And I tell them, it's very easy. You go to a haunted place and you turn on a tape recorder and you have the same conversation that married people have during sex. You say, could you make some noise so I know you're here? And do you feel anything? And a very cold presence has entered the room. Thank you very much. Big up to the firehouse. You're going to blast.